now leading a company called Numerator, about to pass 130 million bucks in ARR. That's up from a $100 million run rate just a year ago. So healthy growth uh, owned by private equity firm, uh, Vista Equity. They've passed 2,000 customers, mainly all the big CPG guys. You know, average contract values, call it five, six, seven grand per month. Uh, they're, you know, not as aggressive as some other portfolio companies in terms of dollar-based CAC, spending up to a dollar to get a new dollar of ARR or about 25% of their total revenue on sales and marketing. First moves, again, bring efficiency to the sales team. One instance, the sales force, that was what they did first two moves kind of after the Salesforce acquisition. Again, company launched in 2014, team of about 1,500 today, growing rapidly. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Dennis Moore. He is a husband, a father, studied statistics at Michigan, plays sports like golf and paddle tennis, and loves to use data to analyze things. Professionally, that means using data to help CPG companies make better decisions. And personally, that means a love for poker and wagering. The company is called numerator.com. Dennis, are you ready to take us to the top? Sure am. Sure All right, over the past over the past twelve months, how much money have you made playing poker? Oh, geez, probably negative something. <laughs> okay, so should we listen to this interview or not? Uh, not not if it's about poker advice. No. <laughs> All right, what's Numerator doing? What's your revenue model? How do you make money? Yeah, we uh, we collect information that big companies, CPG companies like Procter, Coke, Kraft, companies like that, need to understand how advertising, promotion, and pricing are trending in their in their industries. Okay, so a couple questions on this. Obviously, your data is only good to the inputs you feed it and then how you use that data. So where, what are your inputs? So our, probably our most important input is a panel of consumers. We have about 300,000 people in the United States who send us all of their receipts. So when they shop in a store, they snap a picture of their receipt. When they shop online, they've given us opt-in permission to collect their email receipts either from their email box or out of their Amazon Sandy, account. Sandy, that's direct or you've partnered with an app that is like a receipt imaging app and you take so that data. We have our own app. So there's two apps. One's called Shopperoo and one's called Receipt Hog. Anyone uh, can download them on, on the app store. And it's very direct. It's actually an important point. Our relationship is very direct with the consumers. They know they are signing up to send us their receipts. Do you pay them for it? We pay them for it. One of, one of the apps is charitable-based. If you ever cut out the box tops off your cereal boxes when you're a kid for your school, so one of our apps donates money to schools every time you upload a receipt. In fact, we gave $750,000 to schools last year collecting receipts that way. The other one is Gamified. There's another app that, you know, if you're not charitably motivated, will uh, give you some tokens and you can play a game, that sort of thing. Oh, but the interesting. the point is that people know what they're doing. It's not like we're sneaking the data away from them. It's, no, uh, no. By the way, I think that's the future, right? I, I think if Facebook had a business model where they paid users some amount of cents, 10 cents, to whatever, a month for all their data, we wouldn't have all these issues we're having now about you're collecting unwanted data, right? Uh, so I love it. Okay, good. Okay, I so agree, I, understand, yep. I understand the data input now. And give me a sense of kind of the, the velocity of that pipeline. How many receipts per month are you collecting? Oh my gosh, we collect about one out of every 500 receipts in the grocery stores across the country. So it's, it's hundreds of thousands of receipts a day. Okay, hundreds of thousands a day. But you don't know the number, like for the, you don't know like last month, how many you got total? I don't know. I know, I know we've cro we crossed over 500 million in our lifetime, in our, like in the four years that we've been in business, but I'd have to do that. That's helpful. Okay. You said this is across 400,000 users? Correct. Okay, that's great. Okay, now let's go to the next step. So yep. how do you then make, how do you add utility value to the data to get CPG brands to pay you? Yeah, so the, the main thing is in, in sort of measurements of market share. So if you think about loyalty data, so think about a retailer, for instance. A retailer knows a lot about who shops in their store, right? The loyalty card gives them a lot, but they don't know what those people buy when they're in another store. Sure. And that's actually pretty important. There's my poker analogy. It's like you, you don't know what the other guy's holding. That's the important, that's the important fact. Yeah. Similarly with the manufacturers, what's going on is because the retail landscape has changed so much in the last few years. Like it used to be if you knew what you sold in grocery stores, 
you knew most of your sales. But now people buy online, they buy in Ultas and Sephora's and Dollar Shave Club. And just like the way that CPG products get sold is so vast that you need sort of a wide range of consumer data to kind of track all the sales. And so that's, okay. that's the primary value we have is really measuring the full omni-channel from physical store to online store. And is this a SaaS product for CPG brands or papered line of data or what? It's a little of both. I mean, so there's, it's a SaaS-based model, but there's also a services component. So people okay. would sign up for a subscription and they can access their own data and do a lot of their own reporting. But there's also times when the, this, the business use case is a little bit more involved and the client wants, in addition to the subscription, they want some professional services help and we provide both. Over the past 12 months, if your whole revenue pie is 100%, what percentage was professional services versus SaaS? Probably, I'm trying to think, probably about, it's about, it's about probably about a third of the panel business. The panel business itself is about half. So it's, it's probably somewhere in the order of 20% of our revenue is probably services. Okay. Not, 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 not crazy, especially if it helps no, no, with retention no, no. on the SaaS product. Yeah. This, we, we generally speaking, we try and provide like one uh, person's worth of service for every million dollars of stuff you buy from us. That's yeah, cool. that's pretty good. And, and then, okay, so let's just focus on the SaaS company today. So, so I'm sure you have a bunch of different cohorts, but I'm going to force you into an average year just because we're short on time. So what's the average customer pay you per month or per year, would you say? Per year is probably high five figures, probably like 75, I'm guessing a little bit, but this okay. is a brand average, but yeah, it's, it's probably, it's probably a, fi a high five figure uh, annual subscription. Okay, got it. So, so call it 75 grand uh, a year, maybe around 60, you know, 6,200 bucks per month, something like that. And, and put this on a timeline for us, Dennis, before we get too deep here, when did you launch the company? What year? Well, the company is really a concatenation of about 12 different acquisitions. So I, and to be clear, I'm not the founder, you know, the, you know I'm, I'm sort of the PE CEO of the accumulated companies, but the, the panel business that we've been talking most about, that business started in 2014 uh, okay. and has grown from, you know, just, it's a panel business. So it take, the first year you don't make any money because you- That is numerator.com though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The panel, okay. that, that numerator.com, yeah. The, 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 the most, the business we've been talking about is like, is, is a subset of numerator, correct? Yeah, yeah. And okay, so hold on. So I want to understand kind of, were you at the private equity firm that then went and bought- Market track and Info Scout, or you were at one of those companies and basically moved up the chain after the roll up happened? Yeah, I kind of joined in the middle. So I joined when we had a previous private equity owner and we owned several of the businesses that make up the current numerator. I joined, we then sold to our current owners, Vista Equity Partners. Yeah. And shortly after Vista acquired us, we made a very big acquisition in this panel based company. So I've yeah, that, that's interesting. Some of the acquisitions and then and with both the one owner back and the current owner. Yeah. So, so one thing I have to ask you, because I think private equity firms, a lot of people don't really dive into strategy here, but there are so many synergies a company like Vista can do that other people just don't even think about. For example, they also are owners in return path. Return yep. path has a ton of data. I imagine your receipt data is also very interesting to return path yep. inside of a big private equity giant. When, 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 you know, Robert puts you right. And return path in the same room and says, figure out how to work together. I mean, how do you, and he's kind of saying like, definitely figure out a way to work together. How do you make that work? Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, well, in fact, I think we actually do quite a bit of that. And I, I can't speak for other private. I think Vista is actually probably ahead of the curve in terms of doing more of that because most of the companies Vista acquires have sort of that tech enablement or SaaS synergy. So there's more in common. So we actually do a return pass actually no longer part of the portfolio of Vista, but we would have done something with them. But there are two other Vista companies uh, that we talk a bit, a partner with quite a bit. One is called Media Ocean. Yep. collects a lot Bill, of data on the advertising. Bill Wise, great guy, yeah. Bill Wise, yeah. Bill's, in fact, on our board. So that's another oh, way. He, he, was just, he, was just on on he was just on the show a couple weeks ago. He had a baby earlier this week. So yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, Integral Ad Science. So uh, Don't know them. You know, by IAS. They compete against Moat and Double Verify, but 
all of they collect both media ocean and IAS have a lot of information around how advertising hits consumers, yep. which if you merge it up with our data, we can start to draw the connection between consumers being exposed to ads and do we, or do we not see a change in the, uh, in the lift of their own volume. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, okay. So, so when, what year did you join the company? Um, like at all, any other yeah. parts? So I joined the company in the summer of 2016. Okay. So kind of two years. Capital. It was about, and then we sold the company to Vista in the spring of 17. Okay. 20, was it public what the acquisition price was? No, it was not. It was private. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So 2014, Agora, you joined 20, 2016. Uh, 20, yeah, yeah, 2014, sorry, launched. 2016, yeah, uh, Agora yeah. sells to, to Vista. You stay on. You're now leading kind of the conglomerate. Yeah. Um, and then, so w walk me through kind of where you're at today. So, so over the past couple of years, what have you scaled to in, ter in terms of total customers you're serving? Yeah, so we have, we have over 2,000 customers, and we're probably going to hit about $130 million of revenue this year across all of the, the combined companies. Uh, and really, the driving force for all that is the, the, the channel fragmentation. The, if you, the traditional CPG companies, you know, they traditionally rely on like Nielsen, which is a company I worked at for a long time. Uh -huh. uh, IRI is those are like the traditional places they got data on the market. But as the market has moved to this kind of amorphous mass between brick and mortar and online, they need some new sources of information. And that's kind of like the, the spot that we really dig in and say that there are new things in the market that aren't being well measured and we're measuring them better. And that's kind of our pitch. Yeah. yeah. So 130 run rate today. Help me understand growth a year ago where we at November 2017. We're just just over a hundred, just over. 100. Okay. So pretty healthy growth. Now as yeah. most of that of this kind of 30 million and kind of new bookings you've driven over the past 12 months, what percent of that has come from expansion versus totally new customer ads? Yeah. I mean, m most of it is from expansion in the sense that we had multiple, you know, we had these multiple companies we've tied together. And so we might start to sell the new service to a company that was already buying something else from us. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know, so I would say it's, it's so it's expansion, but it has an element of new business because to the company to the, to the client who's buying, it's a brand new service from us. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. So, so someone that signs up, I'm going to use easy numbers here. Someone that signs up for your product brand new today for a hundred grand a year, hundred thousand dollar ACV. Typically, when you put them through this well-oiled system you've built, what will that expand to in year two? Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I think on average, we'd say somewhere like, like a 130, like, you know, like Pretty a healthy. Third, yeah, something like that. If it, if, you know, it, can, it, what it tends to be is a little bit lumpy though, because what can happen is there are certain services that if they, you know, if they expand to it, they might double or triple their revenue. Right. And then yeah. there are other services where they just sort of make a marginal expansion by maybe expanding the box of data a little bit, you know, yep. you know. And let's, let's stay on kind of this line for a second, which is kind of cohort analysis. So that same cohort, you know, a year from today, it sounds like there's some expansion, maybe average 30% expansion. Let's talk about the flip side of that gross revenue churn. What's gross revenue churn on that cohort? Yeah, churn is probably, we're kind of coming in the upper eight or our net retention rate is probably just shy of 90. So in the mid to upper eighties right now, there are, there's one line of business that we have, uh, we, we, where we do like, we collect data by scraping data off the web, sort of yep. price information and other, and that tends to be a business line that there's just a lot of people doing that space right now. And so we do have a little bit more churn on that side of our business than we wish we had. So Dennis, I, I want to make sure I understood that whole, whole, real, real quick. So you said net revenue retention is 90%. Yes, correct. Okay. And so just to make, be clear, if 30% is expansion, right? Yeah. Which means that's essentially, you know, so if I take 30% off the 90, uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, I mean, I can basically say you guys are what churning, what about how, I mean, it's a pretty significant amount of churn, gross revenue churn. Maybe, maybe we're talking about it a little bit differently. I mean, so okay. I, what I'm talking about of all, of all the bookings that I have, right. Uh, and I set price increases aside, just, you know, how much of what I had last year do I keep? So I, about 10% of my base I'm losing, but then of the 90 that stays, I'm expanding that. So my net, so, so I mean, I was say your net retention is my, over my, 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 my growth, my growth with my existing customers is larger than my net, my, my net, ret- my, than, than, than the churn I'm losing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just, so let me, let me say it again and see if yeah. we're, I, I, I want to make sure I'm interpreting your numbers accurately. Um, sure. You lose on a cohort that signed up a year ago, you'll yep. lose maybe 10% of that revenue. You'll Correct. expand it though 30%. So net your 120% net revenue retention on that cohort. Correct. I got it. Very good. Yeah, that makes more sense. And we how have all are these you, different metrics. I get confused when you include the price increases, don't include the price increases. Some of you are talking about it now. Yeah, I would include them. That's expansion revenue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But let, let's dive deeper on that, actually. When you do increase the price, what have you found is the most effective way to, to get people comfortable paying that new price when they go, but Dennis, I'm on the grandfathered plan. I was an early customer. I love you. You have great hair. Give me a discount. Yeah, mostly mostly it's about improvements in the product. So like particularly with, say like the panel business, we're, we've taken that when we acquired the business uh, a little over a year ago on the panel side, we had 75,000 people in like, but we, we had, we had 400,000 people in the panel, but we, there's a subset that you draw to be your representative sample. And that was 75,000. We've made it 100,000. We're going to make it 125,000 in the next year. And so there's quality improvements. So like we, we made the data larger. So the number of issues that they can study and the number of things that they can read has increased. And so that's, it's kind of a classic quality play. So we can legitimately say that there's been enhancements in product quality that, you know, manifest themselves in a price increase. Interesting. Um, talk to me about kind of dollar based CAC. And the reason I ask is, um, I've had a, I've had several kind of, uh, private equity owned companies on the show. And I found that this is a good actual idea to understand how fast kind of the SaaS marketplace is growing. So when I had Andre for, from Ping, which is also, I believe, yeah, part of a, Vista. The Vista co- yeah, Vista, just the CEO as well, sure. Yeah, Ping Identity. I mean, he articulated to me that kind of they're currently, he's currently paying about $1.20 to get a new dollar in ARR and that yeah. they're actively and aggressively trying to figure out actually how to spend more uh, because they have so much confidence in their lifetime value. Yeah. Where's your head at in your business? Yeah, I mean, I know we're, we're not as uh, we're not as extreme as that. We spend about twenty. Our total cost of sales and marketing is about twenty five percent of our total revenue. Right, so we, we're spending a lot of money every year on our sales force and our marketing efforts. But the but I but we're not in a situation where we're spending more than the first year's revenue just to acquire a customer. Got it. And I think, and think it's different about our business and some others. You know, we have. We have like over 2,000 clients. We have lots of clients that spend 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 dollars a year with us. Yep. So the, the lifetime value is large and the renewals are important, but it's not like it's not as if these are seven figure deals that you would spend you know, an enormous amount of money to win because they're you know, going to be eight and nine figure lifetime values, right? Yeah. It's a little bit more of a wider range of clients. So just to repeat that back to you, you're spending maximum a dollar of CAC to get a new dollar of ARR at 12 month pay. Said differently, it's about a 12, less than a 12 month payback period. And in terms of just total macro level, you're spending 25% of your total revenue, which is about 130 million bucks today on sales and marketing. Correct. And, how, and, and so let me understand more about the team. What's the team size today? Well, the team, well worldwide, we have 1,500 uh, associates, although 700 of them are in offshore capacities because we have a lot of data handling, data coding, data entry sort of issues. But in terms of, say, client-facing folks, we have about just under 100 
commercial sales folks and about another 75 uh, services-based uh, consultants and services folks. Uh, and talk to me about the process. And, talk and to there, me about- There's a very lot. What's, what's, yeah, go ahead. No, I, was I didn't say anything about the engineering team too. That's the other big pocket of staff that we have is a large number of engineers because uh, all of our businesses, I'll just continue to use the receipt business as an example. And I say that someone takes a picture of a receipt and we know what's on it. As you can imagine, there's actually quite a bit more to it than that in terms of the OCR required to turn that image into actual data. That's right. Yeah. Um, break down that kind of machine for me here for a second. So I want to understand the sales machine. You mentioned about, I think you said 75 professional services, hundred commercial sales. What's the ratio between kind of SDRs and AEs? How do you use customer success and onboarding reps in that equation? Yeah, we were, and, and we're, we're, I, uh, we're the, the, I would say generally speaking, we're rooted in more of the enterprise sales level because our biggest clients, uh, so our, but the, the thick of the, the 50 largest CPG clients, P&G, Coke, Nestle, Unilever, those are like where, those are where our bread is really buttered. And so we have a lot of, of very tenured staff focused on those accounts. We do have an SMB market. We do have a, a lead gen team kind of chasing the mid and the smaller market. But in terms of dollar expenditures, we're probably top weighted a little bit more than uh, other companies of our size. Okay, interesting. Um, when Vista acquired you guys, first change that you guys decided to make together was what? Uh, internal systems. We had, we had, I think we had six instances of Salesforce. We had three different accounting systems because we had concatenated all these, all these small acquisitions before. And, you know, this just kind of looked at it and said, you know, this is kind of ridiculous. You know, we need to get on one instance of Salesforce, that instance, that needs to be the system of record for all of the things related to clients. And that needs to tie in one time to our accounting system. And so we spent a good, gosh, we spent probably close to six months uh, just kind of getting all of that straightened out so that we now can go from uh, from quote to order to bookings all in one system. But that was, uh, that was not easy. Yeah. Okay. So systems optimization is number one. And what would you say that was, I would say that's very tactical. What would you say is the first like big strategic change that happened? Was it a price increase or something else? No, it was, it was in uh, the go-to-market team. So we, we had, uh, again, again, still some remnants of we had a very product focused sale, you know, people who came to us selling one of the products and we would buy another company with people would sell that product. And the obvious opportunity was to have a united sales force and sort of bring the whole bag to clients and start to integrate the thing, integrate the services together. So we had to do a lot of work to essentially take a fractured sales force and align it up into sort of one go to market. Uh, which then following on that heels are kind of in parallel with that also meant certain things we had to do with the product to make sure that the product experience was truly integrated, but the products were somewhat easier to integrate. I'd say that the sales forces were further behind. So we took on the sales force first. That's interesting. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is every sales rep knows all the things they could potentially sell. They can recommend better packaging and get more, you know, wallet share, et cetera. Yep. That's, and, that's you've got, and you know, and like a typically you've got a, You've got a portfolio of products. I mean, they're all differentiated in certain ways, but some are more differentiated than others. And so by integrating, you kind of take the, uh, the equity and the differentiation of your best products and you kind of give a little bit of a lift to say to your more, your more, uh, your more commoditized products. You know? yeah. so, oh, very, yeah. very good, Dennis. I was enjoying this. I just realized we ran out of time. So let's wrap up quickly with the famous five. One word answers if you can. What's the last business book you read? I don't read business books. <laughs> okay, that's a no. Number two, uh, name name an under the radar CEO that you really respect or you're learning from. Uh, oh, that I'm learning from. Uh, Bill Wise. Bill Wise, that's a good one. Number three, uh, what billing tool do you use? Billing tool? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> you're not sure. Okay, name your favorite <laughs> online tool for building your business. Oh, geez, online tool, man. I, I, you're, you're stumping me, man. I'm an old school. I don't know. <laughs> All right, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? 
seven-ish. Okay, that's good. And what's your situation? Married, single kiddos? Married, two kids, one in college, one in high school. Oh, great. And how old are you? Uh, be 50 in December, so 49 for now. That's exciting. All right, Dennis, take us home here. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Oh, what was that? I wish my 20-year-old self knew more about um, starting companies and smaller ventures. You know, I just, I, I kind of thought you went to school, you got a job at a big company and that's kind of how the world worked. And it took me until I was 47 years old to discover private equity in smaller companies. <laughs> Get in the starting the company game sooner. Coming from Dennis, now leading a company called Numerator, about to pass 130 million bucks in ARR. That's up from a $100 million run rate just a year ago. So healthy growth uh, owned by private equity firm, uh, Vista Equity. They've passed 2,000 customers, mainly all the big CPG guys. You know, average contract values, call it five, six, seven grand per month. Uh, they're, you know, not as aggressive as some other portfolio companies in terms of dollar-based CAC, spending up to a dollar to get a new dollar of ARR or about 25% of their total revenue on sales and marketing. First moves, again, bring efficiency to the sales team. One instance, the Salesforce, that was what they did. First two moves kind of after the Salesforce acquisition. Again, company launched in 2014, team of about 1,500 today, growing rapidly. Dennis, thanks for taking us to the top. All right. Thanks, man. See ya.